This is a Federal News Network podcast. Federal News Network's Open Season Hotline. Today's question, I'm retired from the Army but still working for the federal government. Is there a supplemental insurance available for TRICARE? Unlike Medicare or an employer-sponsored health insurance plan, supplemental insurance to TRICARE does not count as other health insurance. Supplemental insurance pays after TRICARE and reimburses you for out-of-pocket medical expenses paid to civilian providers. But in some cases, such as with TRICARE Prime, supplemental plan costs might exceed your out-of-pocket expenses. See a list of questions to ask before getting supplemental insurance at the TRICARE website. Check out our Open Season Hotline. Head over to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Open Season Hotline. You can post a question there or call 844-305-1500. That's 844-305-1500. Send us your questions. We'll answer daily at 7 past the hour here on the Federal Drive. The Veterans Affairs Department is testing whether artificial intelligence can flag health problems from medical images help veterans find services online, and enable clinicians to reach out to patients about their mental health. VA looks to take this all to the next level under its new AI strategy. For details, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the director of VA's National Artificial Intelligence Institute, Gil Alterovitz. Healthcare is one of the hottest areas right now for AI. One of the areas especially has been toward actually helping to uh, present information both to the patient, to clinicians in a way that is not overwhelming, essentially, because there's so much information. How do you present that information in a way that you can make an informed decision? So it can uh, basically increase the capacity of clinicians and uh, patients to identify health conditions, diseases, and therefore resulting in better outcomes by helping to find and detect them more quickly. It can also increase the accuracy in identifying veterans that may be at risk for uh, different conditions like uh, mental uh, health crises or things like that, that maybe they're not coming in to the doctor specifically for that, but it can be looking and trying to see if there's things that may lead to that. So that way they can be explored in more detail when they are seeing their clinician. We've seen things, for example, such as uh, chatbots and other areas that use natural language processing that allow for communication with the patient in a way that they can get triage and get more personalized care by enabling uh, information to be gathered and thereby making sure that they get to the right uh, place for uh, service as well. The other area is that we're seeing a lot in imaging, actually. So as I mentioned, you know, natural language processing, that's kind of with text, but imaging is another area where we're seeing a lot of movement in terms of AI. So you can imagine in imaging, it's you, you may have a CAT scan and an MRI, kind of that level of uh, imaging, or it can be pathology, slides, looking at the cellular level and analyzing that. And this is, you know, augmenting existing clinician decisions, essentially. So it may, for example, highlight areas that you would recommend a clinician take a special focus at and look at. And so therefore, uh, clinicians can make sure that they didn't miss something. It can make recommendations by integrating several pieces of information that may take a clinician longer to search in different databases. Those are ways that it can really help to uh, improve the outcomes and, and the experiences for the veterans. Yeah, and I think augmenting is the real key word. They're making sure that 
clinicians have, you know, another tool in their tool belt here. And, you know, of course, they're still in the driver's seat for the most part. But I think that's probably a key thing to highlight. Yes, I agree. I, I think, you know, there's uh, kind of a, sometimes people have a vision of AI from, you know, the movies or something like that. This is very different from that in that it is not, you know, autonomous AI. It is essentially an AI that it, where the human is in the loop. It may summarize information, bring together different pieces of information, which, you know, you may not have uh, looked at before. But ultimately, the clinician, the patient working with the clinician, are then better informed to make decisions on what they would like to do for that care. And so by providing more information, by uh, enabling integrated different pieces of information, and by ensuring that just information is uh, is not missed, that may be there, but, you know, because an image is very complicated, right, to making sure to highlight areas that might be uh, important to note, that's the way that th- this can move forward in a way that clinicians are, as you said, in the driver's seat with the patients. Of course, AI requires a lot of things to get up and running here. It takes a lot of quality data to train the AI. It takes a lot of compute to make sure it has the ability to keep running. And so with all of these things in mind, how is VA increasing its AI capacity and capabilities? And what kinds of long-term investments is the VA making in terms of AI? We're starting to see AI across different offices at, at the VA. In fact, when we did the uh, VA AI strategy, uh, it involved over uh, 20 some offices, right? And so there are different use cases for AI. Each of those, in some sense, needs different kinds of investments. And in some cases, pooled resources can uh, make for uh, more efficient use of combining use cases. One to really emphasize, I think it's really important, is the human capital investments, right? It's a key part. And so creating enabling positions that enable AI, increase the AI capacity within the VA. It could be by bringing that AI talent into the VA. It could be, we've seen times when there are, for example, uh, we've had you know a pharmacist who was able to, through their analytical skills, develop and be able to do AI applications by developing their skills or maybe by doing collaborations with uh, the outside partners. Those are different ways of building that capacity as well. And then finally, just wanted to mention the AI. We have this community, this AI VA community, which we've recently uh, launched, which allows people in the VA and uh, more recently, even people also outside the VA to interact and to talk about different uh, use cases and uh, learn from each other about AI as well. And I imagine that community practice is really useful in finding people like that pharmacist who, you know, may have found AI later on and was inclined to be able to work with AI and have those skills. But, you know, really, I guess identifying that upskilling piece, it seems to be part of what that community is probably focused on. Yes, yes, exactly. So I think there are several things it's focused on. One is, yes, that upskilling, as you mentioned, and the other is uh, kind of dynamically forming these clusters around different topics where people can collaborate and work together. You know, one thing I think to note, it's really kind of interesting about the um, upskilling and so forth. Usually, you know, if you're looking for, let's say, a business major, you know, you've got a business degree, MBA, right? But there is really no, or at least until recently, there was no AI degree, right? Now, you know, a few places have an AI degree. So you don't, you can't really hire someone who majored in AI 
until very recently. And, and even now, like many of those are really, those people that come from different areas because they're just certain kinds of uh, knowledge and skills that put together kind of form AI, right? So you may find that person in majoring in computer science, maybe they're majoring in math, maybe they're uh, in health informatics, right? And so one thing that we've been working on uh, with other agencies is this, this effort, which is basically around assessing capabilities that people have within AI. So do they have that knowledge? And if so, you know, they, they can kind of do certain areas of AI, right? And so different areas of AI will have different types of knowledge that are needed, right? Are you doing uh, acquisitions, AI acquisitions? That's kind of one type of knowledge and skills that you'll need. Are you doing uh, research or are you applying it to application? Are you using AI as a clinician. Each of those will have kind of different needs. And whether you're hiring someone from outside or where you don't know, you know, what they could have different majors, right? Uh, you're looking to do that, as you mentioned, upskilling within the organization. It's good to have that common set. And so that's kind of one of the things that we've been thinking about how to do is to uh, be able to assess that and have a, a way that we can see. And, and, you know, if people maybe have knowledge in one area, would like to learn another area, then we can we'll be able to kind of know how to kind of move that forward. And so we've initiated the Teams effort, uh, which is talent education and assessment management system, which I mentioned is kind of collaboration uh, across a, a number of agencies to be able to move that forward. Gil Alterovit, director of the VA's National Artificial Intelligence Institute, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, 
I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture 
of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.